0: Hello and welcome. This is the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher and your host. And I'm Robert Robb, a columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. This week, we're talking about the government shutdown. Uh, we're going to reflect on, reflect on that and try to foresee the, the political consequences of that looking forward. And we'll just start with a quick recap of what's happened since since last week uh there was a deadline on friday to pass a uh, budget deal um and they didn't they didn't reach it the government shut down on friday lasted three days opened back up on monday um so how it works is congress is supposed to pass a budget every year in october is that right in october
1: by october the the um federal government's fiscal year begins October first. Okay. So <laughs> ideally and by law, um, Congress is supposed to pass a budget for the year prior to that.
0: So by law, Congress is supposed to pass a budget deal, get it signed by the president by October. Um and due to Senate rules, uh the Senate requires sixty votes due to the filibuster rule to pass a law. Um They only got 51 Republicans, so they need some Democrats' agreement to pass uh, the budget. And there was no agreement um, in October, (laughs) and they they passed, so what they do is they pass a short-term deal, say, we're not going to fund it all year, but um, let's do a short-term one. And then it's come up several times, I'm not sure how many times since this past October, but it's come up several times, several short-term deals uh, there's been many compromises made, and there were some compromises going down to the wire on Friday, uh, but they didn't. They didn't compromise. The biggest, the biggest thing that wasn't reached on a compromise, the biggest hang-up was on DACA, uh, on immigration and protection for uh, Dreamers who came undocumented um, as children. Democrats want it. Some Republicans want it, um, but there's no agreement there. It seemed like Democrats just wanted to say. We've got this leverage, this is some of the only leverage we're gonna have, um, It's expires in March. Uh, Donald Trump ended it, um, and it's set to uh, totally expire in March, the DACA program. So the Democrats put their foot down, said we're not gonna fund uh, the government, we're not gonna give you the votes. Government shut down on Friday night. Um, blame game went back and forth all weekend. And then finally, um, the Democrats agreed And some Republicans that were on that side agreed to vote to open up the government on Monday for another short term deal. On February 8th, is when the agreement goes to. It seems like the deal was an exchange. Um, They're going to be the Republican leader in the Senate, uh, Mitch McConnell, promised a vote on immigration and, and DACA before February 8th. And it seemed like that was the. The main compromise that opened it back up. So um, whirlwind last last few days. Uh, what stood out to you as as the most interesting? Um, what did you learn from the from the week? Uh, the irrelevancy
1: of the blame game. I mean, Republicans are are blaming the Democrats for intransigence. The Democrats are are blaming the Republicans for intransigence. Um, But to me, what stood out was the fact that we had a government shutdown, even though a majority of the House and the Senate voted not to have one. Uh, And it was a bipartisan vote. Uh, Five Democrats in the Senate voted to keep the government open. Four Republicans in the Senate, including Arizona Senator Jeff Flake, voted to shut down the government. But a um, solid, there were 51 votes in the Senate to keep the government open. So the blame for why the government shut down belongs exclusively uh, to the filibuster rule. Uh, Without the filibuster rule, um, the government never would have shut down. And to me, there's lots of problems with our politics of perpetual outrage. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of them is uh, that it's hard to spot a true outrage when it occurs. But to me, having the federal government shut down when a majority of both the House and the Senate voted to keep it open is a true outrage.
0: You didn't hear that blamed, or you didn't didn't hear that. You heard a lot of outrage on both sides, (laughs) Um, but you did not hear that outrage. So the filibuster rule means usually you'd need a simple majority in the Senate to pass a law. Uh, A filibuster is when a senator decides to talk and talk and talk, so that basically the time runs out, and you don't get to vote on it. So, Except that's your grandfather's filibuster. <laughs> I mean, the filibuster throughout
1: its history, it's not in the Constitution. The first one didn't occur until 1837. And for most of its life, a filibuster required exactly what you said. A senator or a group of senators uh, had to seize the floor and continue talking. Uh, moreover filibusters ra- rarely prevented the Senate from acting um, it simply delayed the action in the modern era we've developed what I've called the virtual filibuster um, the minority pretends that it's going to filibuster the majority pretends to believe it and there's this agreement that it requires 60 votes to do anything that's not in the Constitution it's contrary to the founders in- intent uh, and it leads to the dysfunction
0: that we've seen. I mean, it seems it it is definitely not in the Constitution, and um, I would agree with you that it's not in the in the founders' intention that that's the way that budgets or deals uh, or laws get made. But it seems like there's defenders of the filibuster rule.
1: Well, uh, Arizona's how is it, Jeff Flake and how John McCain are developed. one of the
0: two Even most ardent and Defenders. even and even in his book um, you know D- Jeff Flake's book defending the constitution saying we need to go back I remember this this chapter saying we need to go back to our constitution XYZ but then it had a section where he said he defended the the filibuster so why why do why do guys who are for the constitution want to get back to the way it's supposed to be why defend the filibuster rule it's a mystery
1: uh, to me uh, what Uh, both Flake and McCain talk about the traditions of the Senate. Well, the virtual filibuster isn't the tradition of the Senate. The tradition of the Senate is the filibuster that you described.
0: Well, I guess maybe it's a tradition now that it's been done for 70 years. No, it's it's
1: only been done for a couple of decades, Um, clear up uh, through the – Um, 1990s um, you did not have a 60 vote requirement for Congress to do anything it was still rarely uh, invoked Um, so this is not a hallowed tradition this is a new turning the filibuster from something senators can do to delay action to a 60 vote requirement for everything is modern and new And the argument in favor of it is, well, it promotes bipartisanship and um, developing a consensus on a broader, more durable basis. And that's demonstrably false. Um, The uh, rise of the partisan divide and dysfunction in the U.S. Senate – coincides uh, with the development of the virtual filibuster. And that's not by accident because what the virtual filibuster does is to permit the minority leaders to go to their rank and file members and say, if we hang together, we can prevail. So instead of being an encouragement to bipartisanship, which would occur if you figure your side's going to lose, so you better cut a deal to get something that you want. Uh, it's an encouragement to uh, partisan fidelity and confrontational politics. And that's what we've seen during the era of the virtual filibuster.
0: I mean, that's a little bit counterintuitive, too, because you would think, oh, instead of needing a civil majority, you need 60 votes. So that that means we have to get more people on board to pass a, to pass a law encourage bipartisanship which makes but, it
1: more difficult to pass a law and it creates an incentive for the minority to hang
0: together and you're uh, yeah you're arguing that it does the opposite because of those kind of factional tendencies but then what something I don't understand is uh, like okay you need um, you need 60 votes now before you just need a 51 if you had 51 though what incentive would you have to Um, listen to or make a deal with the minority party.
1: Well, because you also wouldn't have as much of an incentive for the majority to hang together. I mean, this this budget shutdown is a good example. You had five Democrats who voted to keep the Senate open. Mm -hmm. You had four Republicans uh, with different motivations who voted on the other side. So here you had a bipartisan consensus to keep the government open on the grounds that was presented towards the Senate. And I guess um,
0: I'm just thinking like, okay, let's say you had four Republicans who wanted a DACA deal. You know, you had 40, what do we have, 48 Democrats right now? 49. 49. So, you know, if you have four Republicans who want a DACA deal, I guess you've got that, you know, you've got that right, right off the bat. Well,
1: and we're going to... To get to that point, because um, now we're going to rerun the movie uh, just before February 8th, Uh and it's far more difficult to get a uh, DACA deal uh, that 60 people will support in the Senate that's acceptable to House Republicans and President Trump. It would be much easier to get a deal that could command 51 votes in the Senate Mm -hmm. that would be acceptable to uh, the House and to President Trump. So uh, in terms – so it it cuts both ways. It doesn't just – I mean here's an example where you got the minority party that has a priority uh, that probably could be accomplished – much easier with a 51 vote requirement than a 60 vote requirement
0: right. so let's let's keep going on this a little bit because i don't think it's getting much if any airtime um or or words besides um some things that you're writing um what's keeping i mean what's uh looking forward i mean what's what's keeping this from changing i mean why is it just the, the majority that could change it will never want to but you're saying like maybe the majority would want it there. Why doesn't this change? And what, what would I, need to happen politically for it to change? I, I have been convinced for some time uh, that
1: uh, if, the Tem- if the Democrats took over the Senate and the filibuster rule prevented them from doing something that the Democrats thought very important, that the Democrats would get rid of the filibuster rule, which is one of the reasons I've argued that Republicans shouldn't uh, wait around. Uh, We've already seen an erosion of the filibuster rule when it thwarted what um, both the Democrats and the Republicans wanted when they are in a majority. Uh, Under Harry Reid, when the Democrats were in charge, the filibuster uh, was eliminated for executive branch appointments uh, and court nominees uh, other than to the U.S. Supreme Court. uh, When the Democrats threatened to... Filibuster uh, Neil Gorsuch and prevent him from going to uh, the U.S. Senate, U.S. Supreme Court. Republicans who were in charge got rid of the filibuster uh, for U.S. Supreme Court nominations. I believe this should be an issue in every Republican and Democratic primary in the country for U.S. Senate. Uh, where both the left and the right should say this is not the way that we should run a government. This dis- dysfunction needs to be eliminated. The filibuster rule is the principal uh, cause of it, and to uh, make it an issue, uh, where people would pledge uh, to vote to get rid of the filibuster.
0: We'll see how we'll see how that. Uh Plays that I do think it's interesting that you hear on you know on both sides the you know the blame game and um, no no shortage of blame to go around um, but just it's you don't really think about it sometimes I think everyone takes for granted it. these the rules these be do but those those could be rules and maybe that leads to uh, better government as you're um, as you're arguing that still only only changes the Senate uh, rules. Um, a lot of the obstacles are are um, right now coming out of the house as well for for this specific deal, and so let's let's shift uh, a little bit. Um, wh- one thing that stood out for me is how quickly uh, a lot of the Republicans went, starting from President Trump, um, to kind of like blaming the immigrants and and, and shifting. They've said all along um, that they care about DACA recipients that they want, um, you know, that they support a, a deal for, for DACA recipients. But as soon as this came out, the blame wasn't just like, oh, Democrats are trying to get this too fast, like, just relax and we'll do it. It was like they're supporting illegal, you know, they kind of stressed this, a lot of, a lot of the hardcore publics, they're supporting illegal immigrants, and they're holding, you know, all-American military hostage to support illegal immigrants. And they kept um, kind of harping on that. So, so for me, I was kind of like, "Whoa!" They very quickly went from "This is something that we that we support. We're just like waiting for the right conditions for a deal." To like, "These are illegal immigrants, and they, sh-, you know, and they're causing our country problems." Um, so that made me me worried about um, <clears throat> a potential deal happening with Doc at all. And if it does, what are the conditions of that being? Is that going to be stripped down so much um, that, it, that, it, that the Democrats will have to give up so much um, for that? How do you see that playing out? Um, is, there, is there a DOC deal that the House can, um, can bring to the table and vote on that, um, that Democrats will find acceptable? Jeff Flake was even talking about a pathway to citizenship. Is that even possible given these dynamics?
1: Well, you're certainly correct. That was very quickly the Republican talking point, that um, the Democrats were willing to shut down the government to force amnesty for illegal immigrants. And I don't have a clear answer to your question. There are three different dynamics at work, and it's impossible to know how they're going to tumble together. Uh, You have the 60-vote requirement in the Senate, um, which gives the Democrats enormous leverage over what the immigration deal is going to be. You then have Paul Ryan in the House. Um, The Sort of the House equivalent of the filibuster rule is what's known as the Hastert rule, which is uh, before a bill gets brought to the floor. It has to enjoy a majority of the majority caucus. Uh, And that's a rule? uh, It it is not a formal rule. rule? Yeah, it's an unspoken rule. Another unspoken rule. But in reality, um, a House speaker who regularly violated that rule would not be House speaker for very long. Uh, But House speakers have made exceptions to that rule, particularly to keep the uh, government open. And so the question is, what is Ryan's position going to be? Uh, If what can get 60 votes in the Senate is unacceptable to a majority of his caucus, which is very possible, um, uh, will he bring it to the floor anyway? And then the third uh, dimension is President Trump. Uh, I think that he has been fairly criticized uh, by both Republicans and Democrats on this issue uh, for his uh, inconsistency and an inconsistency that uh, in part seems to result from being ill-informed about the terms of the debate. The assumption is as if you're going to be stuck with what can get out of the Senate with 60 votes – it's going to require Trump to sell it to House to the House Republican Caucus. Whether he's willing to do that and whether he's capable of doing that is an open question. This is why I get back to the filibuster rule. Mm-hmm. I think something that passed the Senate that provided legal status, maybe not a path to citizenship, and um, with more of... The funding of the wall and the immigration changes, other immigration changes that House Republicans want, might be able to pass with 51 votes, might be able to get a majority of the Republicans in the House, might be something that Trump would support. Uh, but that's far more difficult with the kind of thing that likely would pass the Senate with 60 votes. And we're stuck with 60 votes now. Right. So I don't. I don't see where this is headed at present. There's too many moving parts. That's the
0: other thing that stood out to me is the Trump thing was kind of ridiculous because so many things about it. I mean, first, you have uh, a guy who campaigned. You know, kind of his two main campaign points was immigration is my policy, and I'm a negotiator. I'm a deal maker, And both of those things, like, one, you have no idea what you're talking about, and that was clear from, from everyone, including Republicans who are basically trying to keep them away from the negotiations over the weekend. And, um, you know, was a bad... So both of those things, the negotiating, second thing is you blow up negotiations by being a, a total moving moving target. You'll say one thing in the morning, you, you know, hear something else and, and totally change, to totally change size. That sounds like he could have gotten, um, if you leaves some the reports, it sounds like he could have gotten good money uh, for, his, for his border wall, he would have just stuck with something and, I, and negotiated on it. I, I, going into these events,
1: um, I was certain that Democrats would never support funding for a border wall. They agreed to the amount of money that the Trump administration requested in its budget for a border wall. Uh, Trump, the Trump administration rejected it, uh, because it wasn't all the money. Well, the Trump administration didn't ask for all the money in its budget request. And that was a monumental concession, um, by the Democrats, one that I never thought would occur. The other sticking points for Democrats are what Republicans want to do to eliminate the diversity, uh, visa. And um, the extent to which uh, immigration is driven by family unification and what Republicans call chain migration, um, there's even been a willingness on the part of some Democratic leaders to discuss those changes.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking-
1: I, I well, one one cannot argue that the Democrats are being uh, unbending and intransigent on on the issue uh it is just so unfortunate that procedural issues uh seem to be clouding the ability to strike a deal as well as a president who as you described fairly is a moving target
0: if he had the skills that he campaigned on this would be a done deal and you'd probably have his uh have his wall and all the things that the um that the hard right are, are asking for and one more thing about that is like even even after he's elected, and it goes against what he said about DACA, he said he's basically was saying, um, "Hey, I'm rescinding DACA because it was an executive overreach, and Congress, you take it and fix it, and then just do it." So he's giving it over to the Congress, and then you can't get a deal because he's screwing it up with his. And then you have you know the the, the leaders of Congress saying, "Well, we got to figure out what Trump wants first. He turned it over to you guys to fix it, supposedly. Well, and, and this is the change, which supposedly
1: there, – there's very little difference between the continuing resolution that failed to get 60 votes and the continuing resolution that did. It was just one week shorter. Um, but what apparently changed uh, the dynamic in the Senate was Mitch McConnell's pledge to be willing to take an immigration bill to the floor, even if it had not previously been supported by President Trump. Um, So I think what the strategy is in the Senate is to pass whatever can get 60 votes and then see what happens in the House and see how President Trump responds
0: to it. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to ask... People are trying to foresee whether it's gonna hurt the Democrats more, or hurt the Republicans more. And it seems to me that this is not over and that the the public perception of it and public opinion of it is gonna be dependent on what happens three weeks from now.
1: It it will, but I do believe that there was a political effect. At least one poll showed a substantial narrowing of the Democratic advantage on what's known as the generic ballot, just in general. Would you prefer to have Democrats or Republicans in charge?
0: Increased Democratic advantage? No. It it narrowed the Democratic
1: advantage substantially. Now, it's one poll, maybe an outlier, we don't know. But I also believe the most reliable poll is to watch the behavior of the politicians. Mm -hmm. Um, They have an innate sense of where public opinion is. And uh, the Democrats voted for a um, continuing resolution that was not materially different uh, than the one that they had rejected uh, just uh, three days earlier. And uh, the only new dynamic was this pledge by Mitch McConnell to let the Senate work its will on... An immigration bill so i i think clearly i think the blame game is irrelevant substantively uh, but i do believe that it's kind of clear that at least over this three-day period um the Dem- the republicans won it
0: yeah i think uh, just to kind of wrap up here i think one one of the dumbest blame game back and forth to me was the one about um you know the Democrats would say, "Well, you control the government, so this is your fault. You got control of all three. Well, it's like, "Well, that's an easy comeback." I mean, you need you need sixty votes. So you need you Democrats. But at the same time, um, I think their point is that the Republicans have control of all three of of the you know the branches, um, how or House House Senate and the presidency. You could have done this earlier. You know, they could have brought up Chip. They could have done a deal on that earlier. They could have brought up DACA this whole time. so I think they I mean they kind of have a point as as to look, you've got control of the agenda you could have you could have solved this problem if you said you had to. Um, but I think the natural comeback and the, and the, it's kind of devolved into you've got control of the government. well we need six you know well and and in fairness to the Republicans,
1: having said that you can't say that the Democrats have been intransigent on the issue. The House passed all the appropriations bills. Um, the Senate can't take them up because the Democrats have said we're going to filibuster each and every one of them. The only thing the the, the uh, not not that we will amend them, not that we will seek to amend them, but we will filibuster them. We won't let you vote on them. So the only thing that the Democrats have been willing to consider is a continuing resolution and the kind of back and forth uh, bargaining uh, that we're that we're seeing it is also true that there was a point in time during the obama administration in which the democrats had a filibuster proof majority in the u.s senate they could have done anything that they wanted to when was that they they did this was in the early years of the obama administration mm-hmm. Um, and they did not pass comp- – that's how they got Obamacare was because they had a filibuster-proof um, U.S. Senate. They did not pass comprehensive immigration reform at that time. They did not pass the DREAM Act mm-hmm. during that time. Um, so the, – the- <laughs> There's plenty of blame to go around, but I would return to my original point. It all would have been irrelevant without the Senate filibuster rule. There was a majority in the U.S. Senate that wanted to keep the U.S. government open.
0: Well, I hope, um, I'm more fearful, I think, that that DACA and the Dreamers won't be protected than I think I ever have. Well, having expressed extreme
1: confidence in an earlier podcast uh, that something on behalf of uh, the dreamers would pass. Um, I'm no longer as confident. I, I share your concern.
0: And uh, I think it's a shame. I think, you know, hearing some of the things said, uh, I mean, I think if you know dreamers personally, um, you or, or DACA recipients, you know, personally, it's like these are Americans. They um, they just want to go to college and, and, and live their lives and um, not have to worry about a constant threat of deportation. So I hope, I hope. You know, very much for their sake gets done. Um, and, and I share that view and that hope. <clears throat> and, uh, well, we may be just having to reboot this podcast in three <laughs> or two weeks uh, uh, because February 8th is the next temporary deadline. Um, what happens if they don't pass a budget before the next budget's due? Uh, <laughs>
1: there's, there's a good chance that we will have continuing resolutions booting this down The road now. The other thing that both sides say they want is a deal, not only through the end of this year, but also for next, uh, that lifts the budget caps on both military and domestic spending. Um, We're we're not even getting to the main event of what a budget (laughs) debate and discussion should be all about.
0: Well, we'll save that for another podcast. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening to the Political Notebook. Uh, You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or any podcasting app. And we'll see you next week.